Welcome back to Mimir as well. Uh, today we're going to talk about Odin and shamanism uh, and how his sacrifice at Yggdrasil for the runes tied into, uh, ties into shamanism in a lot of ways. Um, there's various different interpretations of Odin's sacrifice for the runes. Some people believe that uh, when he hung himself, he grasped them from the cosmos. Uh, and then, in my opinion personally, uh, and this is my opinion, like I said in my introduction, I'm not forcing you to believe this. When Odin hung himself for nine whole days from Yggdrasil, spared by his spear Gungnir, uh, and sacrificing himself, Odin, unto himself, uh, he peered down, which, if anyone knows much about the world tree in Yggdrasil, at the very bottom is Yrd's well, where the three Norns stay. And the three Norns is who had knowledge of the runes and how to use them and how to do the things that they needed to do. <clears throat> so when Odin hung himself from Yggdrasil, he peered down into Yrd's well, and was able to watch them and learn the runes and pull that information in for himself. And when he was done uh, with his, you know, his sacrifice and his rebirth, he was able to come back and share those things. And you're going to learn why uh, a little later because it goes perfectly in with uh, Freya teaching him how to use magic. And we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, so, I look forward to sharing this information with you. Ulsvater Craftsman Shop. Specializing in runes, drinking horns, wall hangers, wall altars, and much more. Find them on Facebook. Alright, now we're back. I'm going to go through some notes and we're going to go ahead and touch on this topic. So first things first is I'm going to kind of lead into explaining what shamanism is and hope that I can do it in a way that kind of allows people to understand. Because there, explaining shamanism is like explaining love. Uh, it's a very hard word to define. Um, so by any meaning of this, of this discussion, it depends on an idea first being clearly defined so that everyone understands exactly what I'm trying to say here uh, for our purpose here. Um, shamanism can be considered to be the practice of entering into an ecstatic state <clears throat> or trance in order to contact spirits or travel through spiritual worlds with the intention of accomplishing some purpose. So very similar to some of you, if you've dabbled in much, you've learned about astral travel and stuff like that that you can achieve from a meditative state, which is pretty much what we're leading into with this. Um, you know, the Buddhists believe that when they reach a state of nirvana, which means their mind can transcend all things and kind of go where it wants to go and see what it wants to see and gain whatever knowledge it needs. Uh, and I think there's even a monk that supposedly, even though he's been alive for like 180 years, is still supposedly alive from being in some kind of meditative trance. Uh, so we all practice shamanism in some different form or another. Um, it's kind of a... It's featured in countless different magical and religious traditions, as I mentioned earlier, uh, from all over the world, uh, especially those that are tied to a particular people and place, like in Africa, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, so on and so forth. <clears throat> 
kind of like the pre-Christian times and the Germanic people uh, kind of ties in with shamanic elements. Uh, so much that it would be impossible to discuss every single one of them here because we don't have enough time. Uh, our discussion is going to have to be kind of confined to the main thing that is most significant to this podcast, which is Odin. Um, the father of the gods who possesses numerous shaman, ah, if I can talk to you, shaman traits. Um, so we're going to examine shamanism and kind of like the Norse magical traditions uh, that were a part of the female side of the northern European social life. And then we're going to tap into the male side, which is berserkers, which are the warrior shamans, uh, before we end here. So I've got some notes here about Odin and shamanism. So Odin being the chief of the gods, he is portrayed as the biggest shamanic figure and the oldest primary source that contains information about kind of pre-Christian ways of the Germanic people. Uh, his even his very name itself, uh, Odin, a, or the Old Norse version, which is Odin, is a compound word comprised of ecstasy, like odor, which means ecstasy, fury, inspiration, and the suffix being in means masculine, It's uh, which means to... In the other word, like uh, the master of, or a perfect example of. So the name Odin can therefore kind of be translated as the master of ecstasy, or as the furious. So, uh, so we're going to kind of tap into Odin and his trance states that kind of comprise one of the defining characteristics of shamanism. So. Odin, during his shamanic journeys, uh, are very well documented. They're found in, through different saga records and in the Eddas where he would travel to distant lands or his own errands uh, for others. And, or he would appear to them as being asleep or dead. Uh, and another instance was recorded in an Eddic poem called Baldur's Dreams where Odin rides Slipnir, uh, which is an eight-legged horse, which is kind of typical of the Northern Europe shamanism to the underworld to consult a dead Sirius on behalf of his son, which, if I remember correctly, was Angrabotha. So Odin, like all the shamans all over the world, is accompanied by familiar spirits, which you heard me reference this in the last podcast that talk about how we have... Uh, spirits that we classify as familiars that are either our spirit self or a spirit of, from our ancestral line. And his were Hunan and Munin. <clears throat> so a shaman, in this case, which we're going to touch on Yggdrasil like immediately after I say this, is they typically undergo a ritualistic death and rebirth. Um, like there's a tale where in Africa there's kids who will, during a lightning storm, run straight out into a field naked, hoping to get hit by lightning because they want to become a shaman because it's one of the most prized and well-respected positions in their tribe. Um, so there's always this death and rebirth. And even down into Christianity, to some extent, is there's like a form of shamanism where you know, the Messiah is dead and then he's reborn and then, you know, Balder dies and then he'll be reborn. And then so it kind of continues with different religions uh, down the line. So when you do that, you acquire your power. And Odin underwent such an ordeal where he discovered the runes because he did so. 
he became the cosmos' wisest and most knowledgeable and most powerful of the beings uh, in North Pantheon. So he's a renowned practitioner of Seder, which uh, a lot of people accompany, connect me to, because Odin is one of my patrons, and I look up to Odin and everything that he does, and people tie me into uh, being a Seder because of my practice with Galder, my practice with staves and bind runes and and meditation and different things because I practice them myself in an everyday life. I have a grimoire that I write all of my stuff down in and I would recommend anybody who's listening, please do the same spells, incantations, prayers, altar setups, uh, anything like that, document it because when you die, you want to pass that down to your kids and allow your kids to become as just as connected to the gods as you are. Um, so we're gonna, now we're going to touch a little bit on Seder. Uh, because I said earlier, actually, let me reverse. So, when Odin hung himself from Yggdrasil, he was pierced by the spear and was on the verge of death. So, there was that ritualistic point of death. And when he fell from Yggdrasil, there was the rebirth uh, of him. So, he sacrificed himself unto himself, uh, which is pretty complicated to some people but it's very easy if you think about it in a deep form you have to give up something and no one's higher than Odin so he gave up something to himself uh, which is to be able to have knowledge and to increase in knowledge so the gods are really hardcore on a gift for a gift so keep, you're going to see that in a lot of uh, spells and a lot of things that I'll touch on a little bit and so, after Odin obtained the runes, he met with Freya, who taught him how, she was a basically, she's the first vulva that's recorded in the Norse mythology. And she, he learns the art of Seder from her. Now, she taught him how to travel in spirit through the nine worlds and, and, and accomplish an intended task, and generally took the form of a prophecy, a blessing, or a, or, or a curse. So... Um, to explain a vulva, a vulva was somebody who would wander from town to town uh, to different farms and Icelandic villages and performing acts of magic uh, for, an, for an exchange of room and board um, and other kind of forms of compensation like food or uh, drink or so on. But one of the most detailed, detailed accounts is a woman in the saga of Eric the Red, and but she's in kind of a couple of other sagas. Um, went to a village uh, to heal this uh, king's uh, sick daughter. And there's, there's different little stories that you can find. Um, but the vulva was set apart from her society. So, you know, if you go out into a, go to work and you tell somebody, oh, I'm a witch or I'm a warlock, people will look at you kind of funny and they kind of go ahead and cast you out. It was a very similar thing. Um, so they were very set apart, um, unless you're around people who believe the same as you. So there was like a positive and a negative sense to this, and I'm, I'm fixing to touch on it. So she was simultaneously exalted and sought after and feared. However, a vulva was reviled and hated among some. So vulvas are like prophetesses and seeress. Uh, and to a lot of degrees. They're basically the same thing. 
and they held a very high-respected position among the Germanic tribes of the first several centuries. So in either of these roles, a woman practitioner of these arts held more or less kind of like a dignified role uh, among her people, even as the high degree of her dignity varied considerably over time. Uh, so she would face, you know, wounded accusations and treatment from people. Um, so it was a little worse for men. So men were accused of being unmanly if they practiced Seder and would made, were made fun of and were casted out. And, and there was times where Odin, Odin himself was made fun of for practicing Seder by Thor or by Loki. Um, and, but Odin is kind of like the forefront, if you will, to have men practice magic. Because magic's not gender-defined. And I'd like to say that right here where everybody can hear this. It's not gender-defined. So if a man practices Seder, it does not mean he's homosexual. Or it does not mean that he's you know doing anything erotic to himself. There is, yes, some eroticism to some magic stuff that you can do, but a lot of it is incantations, inscribing runes, bind runes, staves. Nothing about that is unmanly, uh, and we're fitting to touch on that. So, because, I mean, even the Allfather himself is a satyr. So, Odin himself um, had people called Sade men. Uh, so, <sighs> Seder has been seen as being like an undeniably source of incredible power. So, perhaps the greatest power in the cosmos would be given that to a Seder or a Volva, because they can change the course of destiny themselves, and and can perhaps uh, sacrifice like a social standing for these abilities wasn't kind of like a too bad of a bargain after all. I mean, cause you know, men could look to like me as a guy who practices Seder, I can look to the very ruler of Asgard as an example and a patron, which I do cause Odin is one of my patrons among a few others. Um, so we're going to touch a little bit on the Seder men, which are going to tuck, uh, kind of tie into berserkers a little bit. So in shamanism, there was the thing called warrior magic and warrior religion. So uh, in the early versions of Germanic society, there was a band of elite totemistic warriors uh, that we call berserkers. Um, there were no ordinary soldiers. They kind of... They had initiation rituals, fighting techniques, and kind of spiritual practices that they would do. Uh, and they would be called warrior shamans, um, technically. So there was a phrase in the Yinglingus, I'm probably butchering the hell out of that word, but Yinglinga Saga, where it says, Odin's men went armorless into battle and were crazed as dogs and as wolves and strong bears or bulls. And they bit their shields and slew men, while they themselves were neither harmed by fire or iron. And this is called going berserk. They run howling and foaming through the groups of fighting men, some of them wearing animal skins and some are naked. And some have thrown away their shields and armor to rely on their consuming frenzy alone. Perhaps some of the greatest warriors do not take the field at all but remained behind in their tents and their minds nevertheless focused on combat as huge animals 
their spirit forms wade through the battle, wreaking destruction. So this combat frenzy called going berserk was one of the most common and most potent forms of Odin's ecstasy uh, that anybody could take uh, that was a berserker. So they would go into this battle trance and they were hallowed warriors who were cast, who would just throw away their shields and, and they will go in as symbolic indicators of their social persona. And they would just kind of become utterly possessed by the spirit of their totem animal or their spirit themselves. They would become a bear or they would become a wolf. Um, so by an extension, they kind of, uni- they have a unification with the master of the beast and the giver of this sublime favor, which is Odin, uh, because he gave this gift unto them. So, with this being said, this, being a shaman, ties in a lot with what I talked about earlier, spirit animals and totems. And you will learn, as you study, that the Flasia is a part of who you are and a part of your ancestral line to some extent. So basically, in essence, when you fight in battle as a berserker, you have the strength of a hundred men. And you could kind of say that it's almost the strength of your ancestors in you. Uh, So think about that for a little bit. Um, I would recommend people meditate. uh, Kind of do what Odin recommends. Uh, seek the runes, learn the runes. That is the most important thing I can share here. There's different sites, different books that will teach you uh, how to read the runes and how to learn them. Find somebody you know uh, that knows the runes well and have them teach them to you because the runes will bless your life, they will bless your family, they will bless those that you care about, and they will also tell you what's to come and how to overcome it. So there's also books that teach you about how to create Icelandic staves. I would recommend getting those. Uh, you can find them at Barnes & Noble or you can buy them on Amazon. Um, so I would recommend getting those books, practicing, learning those things. Uh, take them. Create your own runes. Um, because when you create your own runes, you impart part of your Megan, which is the Icelandic term for your spirit in them. And your Megan is an interwoven tapestry, if you will, of your ancestors' spirits. And when you make that rune set from your own hands, it's giving a part of your spirit to the gods, if you will. And when you ask them to consecrate those runes and and to bless them so that way you can use them for yourself, you're giving a part of yourself unto the gods. And you're going to have a very strong and powerful and and probably damn right accurate set of runes. Um, I make mine. I go out and I harvest oak limbs and I harvest uh, birch and I harvest whatever I need to and I make my own rune sets. I make my own pendants uh, with runes burned into them or staves. And it's something that uh, as someone who practices Icelandic magic and is learning it, um, it's something that I find important and it's something that I would like everybody to learn. And I'm, you know, and you can always submit questions in here through the voice message side of this. And I will answer your questions or at least try to guide you in our next podcast. Um, In our next cast, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the misunderstanding of hell. Uh, H-E-L, not H-E-L-L, which is the Norse afterlife if you did not die in battle.
Uh, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to touch on that a little bit. We're going to touch on the goddess hell. And we're going to touch on why Balder went to hell uh, when he was killed by uh, Loki and Hod. And when we do that, uh, we will, in that next podcast, I'll tell you about what we have coming up. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Give this some thought. Shoot me a voice message. Give me some feedback. Uh, Let me know what I can improve, what I can change, uh, what you'd like to hear, uh, or what you're hearing too much of. And uh, I appreciate everything y'all do, man.